So Jesus, we ask that you would please speak through your word to us. Help us to live from your word. Uh, There is none like you, as Ryan prayed. Help us to trust in that and have confidence in you. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good to see those of you here. Just a show of hands. How many of you think daylight saving time sucks? Like this strange 19th century holdover. It's like if we still churned butter or something. So welcome here, those of you watching online who may be a few more um, um, today because of the time change and all that. Uh, I want to start with a question. How many of you ever feel discouraged about something, about anything, school, work, relationship, parenting, being a kid? Okay, y'all feel discouragement. Or maybe, you know, it's like I've tried to do the right thing, but it's turned out all wrong. We all face discouragement, at least sometimes. Winston Churchill said that success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. But that can be very hard to do, right? Uh, Last summer, the Mariners played an epic game where the starting pitcher, Wade Miley, gave up uh, 12 runs in just a few innings. So for those of you who don't follow baseball, a typical baseball score would be more like 6-4, something like that. If a pitcher gives up more runs than that, it's considered a very bad day. So to give up 12 in just a few innings, disaster. The Mariners were losing very badly, so the manager took Miley out of the game, put in a new pitcher. The Mariners rallied to the best comeback in their history, scored 14 runs, and won the game. Afterward, Miley, the starting pitcher, said with a straight face, yeah, I knew if I could just hold him to 12 runs, we had a chance. Okay, that's what Churchill's talking about, failure without loss of enthusiasm. And today's text kind of shows us how we can beat discouragement. Now, the background for this is that Israel has been worshiping false gods for centuries, which led them to do things like sacrifice their children to appease those gods. Um, Israel had failed to care for immigrants and the poor and the oppressed, which God commands over 300 times. For centuries, God sent prophet after prophet to warn and beg Israel to turn around. But after centuries, which shows God's patience, God finally says, okay, if the only way to get your attention is if something drastic happens, so be it. And God tells Jeremiah to warn uh, Israel that unless they act justly, God will take the land away and they won't get to be a nation anymore. The Babylonians will conquer them and carry them into exile. That's the message Jeremiah is supposed to bring. How do you think that went over with people? It lacked awesomeness. Um, And we see that in the text today. It says, uh, today, uh, when the priest Pasher heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah beaten and put in the stocks at the Lord's temple. So for doing what God told him to do, he ends up bleeding and bruised and beaten, locked in wooden stocks, crouched over all night in the most uncomfortable position you can imagine, for an entire night at the temple court where everyone could see him and mock him. No good deed goes unpunished. And he wonders, God, you said that you'd be with me to deliver me. Where are you? As St. Teresa said, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. Do you ever feel discouraged like that? Well, a couple of things just before I get to the cure for discouragement, just a kind of a couple of preliminary thoughts from this text about discouragement. The first is we can expect opposition and hardship. And I know that sounds like sort of, well, duh, but I think as a middle-class Christians, a lot of times we, we kind of think we shouldn't, that we should be maybe immune to hard times. 
The apostle Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. Right? And that was written to me because I am a very brave, resilient person in theory. But when it actually gets hard, I start to whine like something strange is happening to me. This shouldn't be happening to me. This text comforts me because it reminds me it's normal from time to time to be discouraged and I'm not being singled out or anything like that. We tend to be good and resilient against hard times in theory, but in reality, not so much. So for instance, you know, sometimes you'll hear engaged couples say things like, I know marriage is hard at times, but I am excited to work on that together. Isn't that romantic? It's so sweet when they say that, isn't it? Right? Like, I'm going to fight the good fight, and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and work smarter, not harder. There is no I in team, right? I can do it, right? But then it gets hard, and we're like, oh, 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 I knew it'd be hard, but not this. I thought it'd be something less hard. <laughs> so here's a phrase that helps me a lot. This is what hard looks like. This is what hard looks like. That motivates me because it reminds me of who I want to be. I want to rise above hard times, and this is what hard looks like, so let's get going. We can expect opposition and hardship, just in life in general, but especially if we're following Jesus. It is hard to forgive people, as Jesus says to do. Hard to care for immigrants and the poor. Right? In verse 7, Jeremiah says, I am ridiculed all day long. If we are following Jesus, some people, not all, but some people are going to try to stop us or they're going to mock us for our beliefs. There is a cost to following Jesus. So let me challenge all of us, including me. If, if our commitment to, to Jesus doesn't put us in direct opposition to some, not all, but some of the values of our culture, if we never have to choose between what God's asking us to do and, 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 and what's popular, we got to ask, how committed am I to Jesus? And is God really at work in my life? Now that said, if we're facing hardship and opposition, let's make sure it's because we're following Jesus, not our politics, not religiosity, or just generally being obnoxious. Right, the Apostle Peter says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. But if you suffer, it should not be as a criminal or even as a meddler. I'm so glad that's in the Bible. Because right? sometimes Christians, we like to meddle, right? Tell people how they should live. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should. Yeah, right? And then, then they say, I'm being rejected because of Jesus. No, it's because you're a jerk. Like, and I don't even like you, right? Like, and I'm a Christian, right? So, like, stop it. Cut it out, right? But that said, following Jesus will cost us something. But it leads to a bigger, richer, deeper life. See, Jeremiah assumed that back in chapter 1, when God said, I will deliver you, I'm with you and will deliver you, he assumed that meant no hard thing would happen to him. But that's not what God said, right? God said, I will deliver you. What did Jeremiah think that meant? Because, see, delivered sort of implies being, well, delivered from something, right? Now, I'm not saying the only way to be a Christian is to suffer and the only way we grow is through hard times. No, no, we grow through good times too. What I am saying is that if what you want is something that will give you comfort, wealth, success, prestige, health, if that's what you're after, Jesus is not your best option for that. But if what you want is resurrection, the making new of all things, new life coming out of old wounds. If you want to be braver and part of the adventure of God's rescue mission to this world, then you have only one option, and his name is Jesus. 
And you are a congregation that can handle the fact that there is a cost to following Jesus. I mean, you guys, I see you do it all the time. You are here after losing an hour of sleep, right? Like you are the guys who can suffer for Jesus, right? You get this. Because you know that a faith that costs nothing, asks nothing, risks nothing, yields nothing. The first Christians faced mocking, prison, death, but they also had some amazing adventures, right? God made them brave enough to face all of that without fear. They were a band of brothers and sisters having adventures together as they partnered with Jesus to rescue this world, finding joy even in hard times, and they changed the world. See, you can't have a testimony unless you have a test. So we can expect hard times in opposition. From who? From who? Those, those mean, nasty, non-Christian people? <laughs> no, 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 no. Religious and political people are always God's biggest problem. In this passage, who beat Jeremiah and put him in the stocks? Pasher. Did you catch what Pasher's job is? He's a priest, a religious leader. See, pastors have always been a problem for God. Right? And followed closely by people whose God is their politics. Now, nothing wrong with politics. We need good people in politics. But when we think it is our ultimate solution, when that's our go-to, when that's what we turn to, when that's what we obsess over, we get in the way of what God is doing. And what we see over and over in the book of Jeremiah is the insidious way opposition to what God is doing cloaks itself in religiosity or religious tradition or patriotism. So those are some preliminary thoughts. How do we then beat discouragement? How do we get out of being discouraged when we are discouraged? And if you're not, just save this for a future date because you will be at some point. Isn't that encouraging for the pastor to say? When we face difficult things, a couple of things. The first is you don't have to like it. Okay, because sometimes I think we think we're supposed to pretend to like it. You know, oh, everything's falling apart, but praise Jesus. Last, uh, last Sunday, I was guest preaching at a church in Amarillo, Texas. So I feel like I've been to Texas now, um, real Texas. And, but, and they're very nice people there in, in, in the panhandle. Very, very nice people. But it made me, and they said very nice things to me, but it kind of made me wonder, like, how would I know if they didn't like the sermon? Like, would they tell me? Like, and and some, some people said, actually, they would. But what they, the way they put it is, bless your heart. Right? <laughs> which some of them did say, uh, as a matter of fact, um, you don't have to pretend to like it like that. Jeremiah didn't like it, and he said so. In this text, he yelled at Pasher, the priest, and when he's done yelling at Pasher, he turned his fire on God. And he said, and he yelled at him. That's putting it mildly. He says in verse seven, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. That's how it's usually translated because translators don't have the guts to translate the actual Hebrew because you know there are parts of the Bible you can't read in church, right? The word deceived really means seduced and followed by Jeremiah saying, you overpowered me. So in other words, what Jeremiah is really saying is you raped me, God. You raped me. It is exceedingly strong language. And here's what's different about the God who comes to us in Jesus than any other God. See, you can let him have it and he loves you all the same. Which brings me to the second way out of discouragement and that is primal prayer. Raw, unvarnished, unfiltered conversation with God. And primal prayer has three steps. So now we're into subpoints. so I apologize, but you're smart, you'll get it. Right? Three, three steps to primal prayer. God, here's where I am, but here's who you are. And because of you, who you are, I know you'll use it for good. Jeremiah yells, and that's what God wants. The real us, the real unvarnished us, that's what God, real relationship, prayer is primal. If you know how to yell, you know how to pray. 
Or as Pastor Eugene Peterson puts it, Jeremiah here is feeling sorry for himself on his knees. You can do that. I can do that. There is a time to lament. I remember once talking with a college student whose mom had died and he was very upset at God for letting that happen. And, and I said, well, tell him, right? And, and he said, I can't do that. He'll zap me. I'm like, no, he's not, he's not gonna zap you, right? And, and so he said, God, I am upset right now. And I said, oh, come on, you can do better than that. Let him have it. And he did, yelling, cussing, crying. And when he was done, he felt really close to God. See, believers argue with God Religious people argue about God. This is where I am. But we don't stay there. We move on to step two. God, this is where I am, but this is who you are. In verse 11, Jeremiah says, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. This is who you are, and because of who you are, I have hope. Not in my circumstances, but in your character. Right? You see, when we are discouraged, I can guarantee you, your brain is almost certainly exaggerating how bad it is, because that's what our brain does. And the cure for that is to focus on the character of Christ. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. This is where I am, but this is who you are. And then the third step, because of who you are, I know that you're going to use this for good some way, someday, somehow. And this is unique to Jesus. The concept of redemptive suffering is unique to Christianity because the cross is the center of our faith. And it says out of this suffering comes new life. Jesus is raised from the dead. He pays the price for our sins. We're forgiven. It is uniquely Christian. Jesus' specialty is taking hard things and making them to be the eventual servant of our joy by helping us grow to be like him or using our pain to help someone else. And that's very different than our culture. Like, we are very, we don't think there's anything good that can come out of suffering. Like, we are the culture that created that Kleenex, you know, that kind of Kleenex that has ointment in it so that your nose won't get chapped. Oh, my goodness. Right? Like, when people study our culture 200 years from now, they're just going to go like, wow, weren't they a bunch of fragile little snowflakes, right? But a core promise of Jesus is that he will compel hard things to yield good things somehow. And the cross is his way of saying, see, I mean it. Here's where I am, but here's who you are. And because of who you are, I know you'll use this for good. Therefore, I have hope. Now, all of that is a quick, seamless, easy process. Step one, step two, step three, we're done, we're good, right? No, it's back and forth and round and round. So this is how the text actually goes. Maybe you caught it when Ryan was reading it. Jeremiah in verse 13, he says, sing praise to the Lord. He's focusing on the character of God. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy. Cursed be the day I was born. That's like, that's the next verse. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see such trouble and sorrow and in my days in shame? And the Oscar goes to, right? And I just love this section, right? Sing to the Lord, hallelujah, curse be the day I was born, right? Because I do this all the time. Like I'll be in my car praying, thank you, God, you're so awesome. Then sings my soul, right? And then someone's driving slow. Curse be the man who drives slow. My Savior God, right? Like honest prayer is not once and for all. It's, I hope that's a laugh of, (laughs) oh God, he got me. Um, It's back and forth, round and round, which is why we have to do it daily, hourly, minute by minute. You don't have to like hard times. Engage in honest prayer. Third way to fight discouragement, participate in what God is doing 
in you. Because see, when Jeremiah says, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, he's acknowledging God is making me stronger through this. He sees what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that, that, that God is the potter, we are the clay. God uses the circumstances of our lives to shape us to be more like Jesus, which can be hard for the clay, but you end up with something beautiful and useful. Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. How do watchmen wait? Do they, you know, do they wonder? I wonder if morning is going to come, right? Like, like if you asked a watchman, you know, hey, is morning going to come? They'd say, yes, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just let everyone under 30 doesn't get that reference. <laughs> we find hope in our trials when like watchmen, we're curious, we're eager, always asking God, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? And sometimes we have to wait through some very painful things and a not yet that can feel like a not ever. But even in those awful situations, when we're down to nothing, God is always up to something. In the Bible, there's this pattern to people's prayers. God, where are you? Where are you, God? Where are you? Where? Oh, there you are. You don't have to like it. Primal prayer, participate what God is doing in you, and then finally, participate in what God is doing through you in the world. In verse eight, Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach. But if I say I'll not mention his word, that is just give up. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I cannot indeed. He has a fire, a passion, a burden. A few weeks ago, I told you that God will often put a passion or a burden on our heart for some problem in the world. And I said that where God is calling us to act is often at the intersection of what makes us mad, sad, and glad. So maybe it's when kids don't get what they need to thrive, it makes you mad and sad, but glad when they get it. Maybe it's injustice that makes you mad and sad, but glad when you see justice done. Right? What, what burden has God given you like a fire in your bones for the world? And if you don't know, ask God to give you one. Because when we face difficult trials, one of the ways we find new energy is to see the way that God is working through us in his world. Jeremiah's suffering is redemptive for himself, but also for the world, and it points to Jesus. Jeremiah was beaten. Jesus was beaten. Jeremiah was mocked. Jesus was mocked. Jeremiah's put in wooden stocks. Jesus is put on a wooden cross. And just as Jesus' suffering led to new life, Jeremiah's suffering leads to new life in him, but also through him to the world because he becomes for us a great instruction on how to have a real, raw, passionate relationship with the God who comes to us as Jesus. When Jeremiah yells at God in primal prayer and sees what God is doing in as well as through him, he is strong again. After his night in the stocks, in verse 3, Jeremiah rallies from his discouragement, right? And this is what he says to Pasher the priest. He says, Pasher, your real name from now on is terror on every side. For the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and your friends. You will see them fall by the sword. I will give Judah to the king of Babylon and will carry them away to exile in Babylon. So not exactly a positive message. But it shows two things. First, Jeremiah has regained his courage, strength, and purpose in life. Tell truth to power. Second, this is a warning, which means there's still hope. Because if Israel just turned around, God presumably would cancel the invasion. Right? And even though they don't and end up in exile, God even uses that to transform Israel. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. And when the exile happens, Jeremiah turns around and starts preaching words of hope and encouragement and new life and restoration, which we'll see next week. Participating in what God is doing through you and in you brings encouragement. Seven or eight years ago, I went through a season 
kind of, of discouragement as a pastor. That doesn't always happen, but this season, just a ministry was hard for just lots of different reasons. And I was really discouraged, and I was feeling kind of sorry for myself, and my job's so hard. Why is it so hard? Why did I ever go into ministry in the first place? That was stupid. I had another career. Should have stuck with that, right? And I, I whined to my wife, and I whined to my kids, and I whined to God, and, you know, anyone that would listen, you know. And why aren't you helping God? Well, this went on for months, and one night, my wife and I were having some good friends from this church over to dinner, along with some good friends from our church in California. And as we were eating, I was kind of anxious, or people having a good time, so I was trying to manage the conversation, even though everyone was having fun without my management, right? And then just suddenly, out of the blue, I just, I got this picture in my mind of Jesus pulling up a chair next to me. And in my mind, right, I actually put my hand up in my mind, and I said, I know what you're going to say, Lord. And I, I don't want to hear it. It's not going to work, right? I, you're going to say that around this table are some of the people I love most in the world, and I wouldn't know any of them if it weren't for ministry and the churches I've served, and I wouldn't know them at the depth that I know them if it hadn't been for the hard things that we had gone through together that forged such, such strong friendships. I'm actually thinking all of this in my head as the party is going on, right? Arguing with Jesus. And in my mind, I said to Jesus, that's what you're going to say. I don't want to hear it. It's not going to work this time. I'm mad at you for making me go into this stupid profession. And then in my mind, against my will, the picture shifted, and Jesus smiled. And he said, well, that is what I'm going to say. And look at what I've given you through ministry. Amazing friendships forged by going through hard times together. So maybe the hard time you're in right now is going gonna, is gonna to give you some really great rewards, like the people around this table. And then against my will, and to my great irritation, I felt joy. <laughs> Dang it, right? And I was glad I was a pastor, glad that things were hard, because it was a chance to be the man I want to be and rise above it. And I knew that God would use it all for good as he had so many times before, right? And I also learned a valuable lesson that day. Don't get in an argument with Jesus. He's just gonna win, right? And win you over in the process. Next day I woke up, I had all this energy, right? Lots of sermon ideas, ready to be a pastor. It was a turning point. I was honest in primal prayer, aka whining, and Jesus showed me that he was at work in me and through me in ministry, which gave me renewed energy. So I began with a Churchill quote. Let me end with one. If you're going through hell, keep going, because there's something on the other side. So where are you discouraged? or know someone who is, or you get real honest with Jesus, look for what he is doing in you and might want to do through you so that you can have your hope and confidence renewed in him. You know, in the Bible, when the king threatened to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to his statue, they knew the cost, but they saw what God was doing in and through them and said, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, O king, we will not submit to your fascist tactics. When Esther had to risk her life and go to the king to save her people, she said, I will go, and if I perish, I perish. God is at work in and through me, so I am not afraid. When a 14-year-old girl named Mary was told that she would give birth to God himself in human form, even though she was a virgin, the cost to that for her was being ostracized the rest of her life and could have meant being stoned to death as an adulterer, but she said, may it be to me as the Lord wills. He is at work in and through me, so I am unafraid. Jesus faced the cross with courage and resolve. Paul and Silas sang hymns in prison. They were whipped, beaten, mocked, killed, but 
the more they were persecuted, the more joy they had, which just made more people want to be a Christian to have the same kind of joy they did. They saw oceans divide, lions become house cats of the power of God, flames that did not destroy them, and even when the worst happened, they knew that their Redeemer lived and that they would rise again. These are our spiritual fathers and mothers, and when those saints go marching in, I want to be one of them. Take heart. Because he who is at work in and through you is greater by far than he who is in the world. So Jesus, thank you for that promise and that truth that we find in your word. And so Lord, we pray that you would make us strong, brave, encouraged as you are strong and brave and encouraged. And help the world to see that you live in us. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.